0: I've seen such parallels, you know, since I've been working for myself for a while now. Um, it's the same thing. With customer relations in the finance industry. You know, you just don't sell, you know, sell a, a financial product to someone. You know, when they walk in the door, say, here, all right, invest your two hundred million dollars in me. No, it takes time to figure each other out. It takes time to see if, you know, if your, you know, values and morals and ethics align. You know, and you trust each other. Same thing here. That's it, all you're doing. You're you're trying to determine whether this someone is trustworthy. That I can actually trust my safety, security, and prosperity with this individual. Because
1: Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, I've got Robin Dreek. Robin, thanks for coming on.
0: Yes, thanks so much for having me on. I'm very excited to be with you.
1: So for people that don't know, can you give us uh, the elevator pitch on, on your background and what you're up to these days?
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, I am the retired head of the FBI Counterintelligence Behavioral Analysis Program. I am the CEO of People Formula, and I am the author of uh, three books, which is It's Not All About Me. The second one is Code of Trust, and my recent book that came out about a month ago is Sizing People Up.
1: Which I just bought on audible and uh, and I'm enjoying and I'm looking forward to finishing
0: <laughs> thanks yes that's what I call Death by Robin where you have um, <laughs> three days of me recording that it's about seven and a half hours so yes
1: <laughs> that's awesome so um, I like I was saying before we started, I was stoked to have you on the show I, I think you know the James Bond shows of the world and the Jason Bourne shows of the world they they really make certain government service cool and i'm not sure everybody understands just how cool the ci stuff that the bureau does for for people who don't know can you talk a little bit more about what the counterintelligence mission is
0: Sure. So uh, it's it's actually kind of vast. Someone asked me this the other day if I could give a, a, a brief on counterintelligence 101 in the FBI. And I said, well, that kind of depends on where you work. And so I started my career in the FBI in New York City, and my job in New York City was recruit Russian spies. I worked against the Russian military intelligence, which is the GRU, and they are – Foreign diplomats that work at the United Nations and my squad, we we try to recruit them because they do not have our country's best efforts at in their heart. They're foreign diplomats, you know, working to collect intelligence against us. So as a spy recruiter, there. Then from there, I went to Norfolk, Virginia, and down there, you know, what we do is we partner with industry, um, clear defense contractors, universities, because all these countries, you know, whether it's Iran, China, uh, Russia, or anyone else that doesn't, again, have our national security in their interests, um, they send their students here at the higher levels to steal all they can, in you know, intellectual property-wise, whether they're working with clear defense contractors, trying to penetrate their information, and take that out through those institutions. And then all myriad of things in between, whether it's um, doing double agent operations, you know, recruitment off- operations, false flag operations, all the things you see in the movies all over, you know, all these decades. Yep, it still goes on all the time.
1: Yeah. You know, um, it's actually interesting, and I forgot to bring this up before. I just re- remembered, you know, one of my buddies, when I used to be a surfer in Huntington Beach, California, we went to church together out there. He He's part of the CIA program out in Washington now. And I think he might be one of the only FBI agents to ever win an Emmy because they made a film about a kid who started going to school in China and got recruited and got talked into applying for the to the CIA. And then you guys end up catching him before he could, could uh, you know, disseminate sensitive information. But it, it's yeah. interesting to see... Specifically, like foreign corporations and students, just like the level of sophistication, you know, hostile governments use for recruiting.
0: Yeah. Matter um, of fact, that was part of I think actually was part of that case. You know, where we did an assessment on it and there's a couple cases like that where uh, um, especially the Chinese, the Chinese have spent uh, sent students here to actually try to infiltrate the CIA and the FBI on multiple occasions.
1: Yeah, it's wild. So, um, to, to, you know, I'm stoked about this book, the new book. Uh, But for for people who haven't heard of it, can you tell us a little bit about what they get if they want to get into that one?
0: I'm um, sure. So my whole premise, which is really funny. So you tell you, know, you talk about my background, you know, inside the FBI, but before that, I'm a naval academy graduate, Marine Corps officer. And when you hear my background inside the FBI, it no doubt screams at you hard, car, hard charging type A guy. And I quickly learned that you will fail majestically if you're trying to basically sell the toughest product in the world, and that's American patriotism to foreign spies, um, which it's illegal for me to talk to. So if you take that that type A mentality, again, you're going to fail at it. So what I really realized after all my years of doing this and running our team and everything, it it came down to a simple truth that if you want to have a relationship with anyone and and inspire someone to do something, you have to actually create trust because from trust you have, you can build a healthy relationship. So I'm the counterintelligence guy that will tell you, I did not lie, did not deceive. I did not do anything except talk it with pure transparency, with no manipulation, because ultimately, if you're trying to build a relationship, that's what you have to do so all my books are exactly that my books are my manuals on how not to be the self-centered narcissist that I was born to be. They're, they're focused on how do you actually, what actions and steps you actually take in your life to inspire trust and then with sizing people up it's actually assessing other people for trustworthiness and or it's understanding them at a deeper level so that you can actually determine whether they're looking to have a relationship with you so I'm, it's basically there's six signs of um, predictable behavior I'm looking at
1: Sure, so um can can you give us just a brief intro on the six
0: absolutely so the first sign is the sign of vesting and what vesting is is through the other person's actions words and deeds are they actually invested in your success as much as their own the second sign is longevity you know but but through their action words and deeds are they looking to have a long relationship with you or a shorter quid pro quo the third is reliability you know they can like For example, on a resume, they'll put what they can actually do on a resume, but in real life, do they actually have the skills and competence to do it, and do they actually have the diligence to follow through on it? The fourth is actions, positive actions of key behaviors. In other words, do they act positively in the people that they're interacting with, as well as if I observe you doing something two or three or four times one way, I can almost guarantee you're going to do it the same way five or six times. So I'm looking at those past patterns of key behaviors. Next is language. Here's I love the language part because what's really important with language is that all human beings are seeking to be affiliated with meaningful groups and organizations and be valued by the same. In order to do that, you have to seek their thoughts and opinions, talk in terms of their priorities and what's important to them validate them without judging them, and give them choices. And so that's what you do to demonstrate value and affiliation. So in language, I'm looking for, are they using that language with me? And that's one of the ones you can assess really quickly early on during a conversation. And finally, sign six is stability, emotional stability. During times of stress, anxiety, and, and frustration, do they maintain good cognitive thought or do they consistently go off the rails and think irrationally?
1: So based on what you see there, so you know, I'm, I'm just thinking about you know, try not to share anything I'm not supposed to, but but right on the FBI website, if you look at the, you know, what they say about the counterintelligence mission, they talk about, you know, they talk about the the assessment phase. How do those things relate right. in, in your former life? And, and then how, you know, I'm, for instance, you know, my partners and I are, we're just getting ready to launch a real estate investment fund. So we're looking to assess, you know, sales reps to get licensed and work for us. We're looking to assess, um, You know, even if large donor, large um, investors might consider our investment. So I'd love to hear a in in your old life, and then advice for somebody like us.
0: Right, so the assessment phase is basically what we're doing right here is is assessing the other person for are they really trying to take advantage of us or are they looking to partner with us? And so if I was in your situation, kind of like it's it's exactly the same thing, by the way. You know, sales is sales is sales. I'm selling <laughs> in my previous slice. So I, I was I was selling you know American patriotism, which is a service, and uh, and and you're selling the same thing. You know, just a different type of service. And so what I'm looking for is in those initial meetings, again, are they using language where they're seeking my thoughts and opinions or talking in terms of their own? Are they talk, Are they trying to figure out and talk in terms of my priorities and what's important to me, or are they only talking about their own? Are they validating what I'm saying and thinking, or are they invalidating and arguing with me? You know, And ultimately, at the end, are they giving me choices? So those are the types of language things I'm looking for, for language, and you can do that pretty quickly. And then when it comes down to, I think, especially if you're looking for partnerships, how quickly, if at all, are they actually looking for and demonstrating that they're looking to – Invest in your success and future by offering resources in terms of you that might be, you know, not as profitable for them, but they're looking to, you know, willing to sacrifice a little bit of their own for your success and also the longevity period, you know, because it sounds like when you're going into this type of relationship that you're talking about, this isn't just a quid pro quo, quick one in and out. We're talking this might be sustained over a period of time. And so are they establishing traditions um, with you? Are they offering mutual training that would be good overlap for both teams? You know, so those are the types of things I'm looking at, you know, pretty quickly early on to see is it at least balanced because – and the other thing I'm looking for is, is it transparent? As you get questions, as you and your team you know, engaging them, if they overcomplicate answers, if they're making things pretty complicated in a way that you don't understand and you seek clarity, they should be transparent to make things as clear and simple as possible. Now, if they lack of transparency and they're shifting a conversation away from the actual question you had – then there's an issue because then we have a lack of transparency in that one lane. So I would, uh, I would uh, reassess what we're doing right there.
1: Yeah. You know um, I just have so many questions flashing through my mind as you're saying that (laughs) I think before I jump into those though, you know, uh, before we started uh, we were talking about uh, your friend and former colleague Jack Schaefer and how much I like his book, the like switch. Um, And maybe relating to a few of those type of things that he talks about in his book, as they relate to what you've talked about in yours, I think a, a question right off the bat is, so let's talk about, um, you know, back in New York days when you're, when you're essentially targeting GRU officers, right? Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you start that in like, obviously disclosing what you can, but this idea of they don't have it in their mind already, how much they want to be friends with you. What are the, what are some of the type of things that you do to, you know, start opening the door to the, to the chance of you two having a relationship?
0: It's a great question. So it's the same thing you do in your situation, really. Um, Again, let's go back to the premise. Every human being is genetically coded and biologically coded to act in their own best interests in terms of their safety, security, and prosperity. If I can figure out what you think is in your best interest and I have resources in terms of it, we're going to have a relationship. And so regarding a GRU officer or anyone, all all my job is to figure out what their priorities were and see if I have resources for it. And so all I was doing was I wasn't manipulating or trying to recruit anyone because you really can't. What I was looking for I was looking for individuals that maybe a, a priority, uh, and this is the type of people I generally worked with, a priority of a dying wish or, of a mother, a grandfather, an aunt, an uncle, or, or something was that their children wouldn't grow up under the the horrible regime that they were experiencing and they wanted a better future and opportunity for their families and for prosperity. So my job was to figure out who had those priorities and since I couldn't talk to them directly what did I do? I talked to people they were talking to. So they would have their own relationships with um their sources, you know, so they're collecting information and so I was just kind of figuring out who had those priorities.
1: And is this like, you know, the the TV show The Americans where you guys kind of do your pattern of life and you're observing and then you're by that, you know, by surveillance, you're essentially seeing who he's talking to and then build the relationships there first? Is that
0: That's one way of doing it. Yeah. Um, You know, you do it through surveillance. You do it through um, technical means sometimes, or you just do it because sometimes people call in. Um, Sometimes, I mean, there's so many different methods. You don't rule anything out. And each each, you know, just like every sale is different with every individual. Every case in operation is different. It's is. I always likened it to like hitting mega millions or lotto. It's it's that rare, but that beneficial. But my job every day was to buy a lotto ticket, you know. And so every day you pick different numbers and you hope you win. And so the same thing here, every day you created, you know, as many relationships as you could to figure out which one of these people that you can determine might have, you know, these priorities in line. And then how do you get in front of them through a, a maybe through a broker of some sort, someone they knew that might that that might be trusted that you can offer, say, hey. I have an opportunity for you and your family, you know, if you're willing to have a discussion about to see if this something might line up with you. So, and, but yeah, the Americans, that's funny. The, uh, that case that was based off in the FBI, I, my team did the consults on that.
1: Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, I want to get you to weigh in on something. So at, at our charity child rescue that our listeners who have listen, heard from heard about for a long time, and, and I definitely want to make sure you and I talk about innocent lives foundation today. Um, but, you know, one of our favorite guys on the team uh, was, you know, in the Bureau for 22 years, a dozen years in CI. And one of the comparisons he made to me is that uh, sometimes the work that you guys did, and I want to see if you see it differently than him, but he described it as in some ways it was almost like dating, like romance, where you like you start off slow and you figure out how to see him a bunch of times and, and you work up to it. Is that, would, do you see it differently or how would you say it?
0: Uh, It can be that way. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, just same thing. I've seen such parallels, you know, since I've been working for myself for a while now. Um, It's the same thing, customer relations in the finance industry. You know, you just don't sell, you know, sell a financial product to someone, you know, when they walk in the door, say here, all right, invest your $200 million in me. No, it takes time to figure each other out. It takes time to see if you know if your, you know, values and morals and ethics align, you know, and you trust each other. Same thing here. That's it, all you're doing. You're you're trying to determine whether this someone is trustworthy that I can actually trust my safety, security and prosperity with this individual because ultimately, you know, whether you're investing your entire life savings with someone or you're investing your entire life with someone the end states the same thing it sometimes takes time now on the lower end stuff though um where lower end in a sense of you know there's less risk involved you know where I'm I'm talking to an american you know citizen or something like that that has access to these people or is willing to help out. I'm I'm straightforward and upfront. I'm I'm always upfront. I'm not in your face like you need to do this. I'm actually just upfront with what my what what my goals and objectives are, my priorities, and I'm ask them what theirs are because the last thing I ever want to do is waste someone's time um because when you don't honor time, you're not honoring them. But yeah, but it takes time with some people because remember, the whole thing the tempo comes up to the other person. It doesn't it doesn't matter how fast or slow you want it to go. It really is determined by how fast or slow they want it to go.
1: Well, isn't it? So common when we try to get them to do something on our time frame, that natural human desire for autonomy kicks in and things slow down.
0: Yeah, well, because people don't want to be controlled. That's why my last thing of those four things uh, to make a conversation about them is empower them with choice. Now, there are times and instances where you might be on a time constraint. And as long as you have transparency about that, the fact that hey, I'm on a time constraint because of this, or a corporate policy, or I'm running out of funding here, you know, you tell me if if you want to move forward with this or not, and I'll totally respect your wishes. Now, when that sense, you know, you're actually showing a time constraint, but you're showing transparency, so it's not manipulation. Then you're still empowering them a choice. Now, if you're using a time constraint and you don't have transparency and you're trying to rush things along people are going to get a sense of manipulation and uh, you will not have trust if they sense that in any way.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I'm thinking about all this stuff and, you know, I guess one of my first questions for you is you think about all the entrepreneurs listening to this or anybody in their organization they're trying to grow and they need to get cooperation from others, whether they're in a big business looking for enterprise customers or they're in they're in government and they need somebody in that other division who doesn't report to them to, <laughs> to, to go along with them and do something, right? Um, mm-hmm. My question for you is, why do you think it is so hard for humans to turn down our self-interest and to like, I, I think about, you know, the dozens and dozens of people we've trained in investment sales in our previous funds and investments we've done. Right. And it's so hard for them to, to like not sell, like to show up and instead be super curious about the other person's mandate or what the other person's priorities are. And like, everybody talks a good game about that. And then there's those people that genuinely truly do it well and in my in my world those people make millions and millions and you can tell other people to do it and so often they for whatever reason have a real struggle turning off this desire to sell and and to start with listening. Do you have any thoughts about that?
0: Yeah. I guarantee you that the ones that can't turn that off, that desire to sell and listen in, is because they're at a point where they're still insecure about belonging to meaningful groups or organizations, and they're insecure. And they're insecure because they're afraid they're going to go back to the office and not have the sale, and everyone else is showing they have a sale, and so they're going to be ostracized from the tribe. Mm. And so they think the they think the way to win is to make it about themselves, what they feel fail to realize. Like, like I did too. Hey – i am I am the same way and when I was in my twenties, I was like the way to win and the way to be successful is to make myself look good. What I failed to realize I realized later in my life and career is that the way to be successful is be make everyone around you successful because then everyone wants you because when you create a positive brand for yourself. Who doesn't want to be around you? And how do you do that? Well, you got to make it about them. Again, those four things. It, it keeps coming back to the same cycle. So realizing, and I've done this with so many companies. You know, I, I've given my talks and lectures, and afterwards, I get the guys that have 50 years of sales with companies. They have no idea what they're doing. They're just being who they are. They're just natural at selling. They're natural at, at all this. And he goes, Yeah, now I understand. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm on a golf course and I'm taking time and I'm spending an entire day with one client. Yep, the one client gives me. So much of their investment, so much of their time and money, and I got all these young guys trying to figure out how come their 20 clients aren't matching my one. I said, yeah, well, it's pretty simple. They're not making it about them. They're trying to win for themselves. Um, you got to make it about the other person. It, again, you don't have to. I just, It's a very, very predictable behavior. If you're self-centered on the things that you're trying to achieve by taking advantage of others, whether you think you are or not, but if you're making it about you and talking in terms of your priorities, you're not going to have the relationships you need because uh, everything – Everything in life comes down to good, healthy relationships. And so if you want them, I guarantee you're going to have a hell of a lot easier and more prosperous lives.
1: I love it. Well, um, I, of course, am stoked every time I hear about other people who change in directions here. I'm stoked to hear about other people who are trying to make life better for kids and prevent abuse and stop kids who are being abused. Can you talk about this Innocent Life Foundation that you're part of?
0: Absolutely, I'd, I'd be happy to. So, um, good friend of mine, Chris Hagnaggy, uh he's the CEO of it, and he's also uh, the CEO of a group called uh, his company is Social Engineer, SEORG. And his company, they're penetration testers. They help protect you know companies from you know cyber penetrations, basically the human factor of it as well. So he's a penetration tester. Well, him and his team. For years have kept stumbling across people on the internet and the dark web while they're, you know, helping protect companies that were actually trafficking in uh, child porn and human trafficking of children. And they're anonymous. They're online. And so it it bothered him so much that he actually uh, took his time one day with him and his team to actually positively ID one of these anonymous people, and they handed over to law enforcement, and the rest started being made. And so it really inspired him. It's like, hey, we have a great team of security professionals that know how to track down and you know positively ID these people. Let's let's do this. And so about two, two and a half years ago, he formed uh, our not-for-profit, InnocentLiesFoundation.org. And we have a I think our team of of investigators is up to sixteen now. We have a board of about five um, you know registered not for profit We have a great onboarding program with background searches to make sure that we're bringing good people on board as well as our mental health. Um, our folks go through mental health checkups weekly um, and what we do is we don't work for law enforcement and what we partner with them in a not directly but in a way where our our team comes up with um with subjects that we know are trafficking, and then we, we take our time and resources to positively ID either where they live, any bio background we can get, including possibly true name, and then we just hand that over to law enforcement to execute. Um, and so we we don't directly – like your team directly involves more with the end user. We get it to the end user to get them to you. Um, so that's what we do. And last year alone, we handed over 95 cases to law enforcement. In each one of those cases, ranges uh, affects anywhere from six children all the way up to 400 if they're serial serial pedophiles. And this year alone, since the uh, January 1st, we're up to uh, 45.
1: That's so awesome. Well, anybody who wants to check that out, we highly endorse going to InnocentLivesFoundation.org. And uh, thanks for everything you're doing there.
0: Yeah, and thanks for you, you too. I was so happy to hear that you guys are doing uh, very, very similar work. But I love, I love how the lanes aren't overlapping. They're complementing each other exceptionally well. So it can't be enough of us out there saving children. A
1: lot of kids to help. Well, listen, I think this is a great place to start, stop for part one of the interview. Everybody, please tune into uh, part two. We're going to keep asking Robin more of these kind of questions. Thanks so much.